Good morning, everybody. It's great to have all of you with us today. And I know it's a little early, but I want to go ahead and say happy Thanksgiving to all of you. Now, this is one of my favorite holidays because it's such a great idea. I mean, let's just stop and take time to notice all the reasons we have to be grateful. And, and let's thank God for all of his blessings and all of his good gifts. And let's stuff ourselves with sweet potato casserole and pumpkin pie. Let's watch a bunch of football. I mean, this is a great holiday, right? But in all seriousness, uh, Thanksgiving is a fantastic opportunity. If we make the most of this holiday, we really can grow in gratitude and joy and contentment. And with that in mind, I'm really excited about this morning's sermon because I'm going to let you in on a little secret. In Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says, I have learned the secret of being content. And that's a really good thing to know, isn't it? That knowledge could change your life. And this is our goal for today. We want to learn Paul's secret. And this is not going to be easy for many of us because a lot of us really struggle with contentment. We, we see things that we want that we don't have. We have this built-in desire for more. A perfect example would be all of those people who build huge collections of something they happen to like. Over in Petaluma, California, there's a man named Steve Sansweet. And Guinness World Records has confirmed that Steve is the owner of the world's largest collection of Star Wars memorabilia. As of May 2015, 93,260 items were counted and cataloged. But Steve estimates that his collection is over 500,000 items. Now, of course, 500,000 is a ridiculous number. But as someone who loved Star Wars toys as a kid, I do think it would be cool to see Steve's collection. But there's another collector that I just can't relate to at all. Martina Schellenberger in Swedenbergen, Germany, has the largest collection of napkins in the world. Based on the, the last count that I saw, Martina owns 125,866 napkins. The entire collection is, is grouped according to theme. She's got them all arranged in little boxes. And I think we can all agree, that's just weird. And that leads me to a question. And this question not only applies to Steve Sansweet and Martina Schellenberg, it applies to all of us. The question is, when is more enough? And it's not just collectors who struggle with that question. You might not be tempted by Star Wars toys or napkins, but we're all tempted to pursue some good thing in a bad or an unhealthy way. And that's the big idea behind this series. We're all tempted, and every temptation is a spiritual test. And unfortunately, Human beings have a long track record of failing these tests. But the good news is, Jesus gives us the power to pass the test and overcome temptation. And with that in mind, we're taking three weeks to look at one of the most famous tests of all time. It's the true story of the temptation of Jesus. 
out in the wilderness. He was tempted by the devil. And as we saw last week, this story is about something bigger than temptations or tests. The story is really about worship. Last Sunday, we, we learned that every temptation is an invitation to worship a false god. It's an opportunity for us to put something or some person over and above God in the place that only he deserves to be. However, we also learned that every temptation is an invitation to worship the true God. Because when you're tempted, God says to you, what are you going to do? Will you trust in yourself or will you trust in me? Will you believe that I want what is best for you? And will you give me the absolute first place in your life? In the end, uh, temptation is that moment when you decide who or what you're going to worship. And that's what Jesus faced when he was out in the desert. The devil tempted him three different times in three different ways. In the first temptation, Jesus had been out in the wilderness for 40 days without food. And Satan came to him and he said, hey, Jesus. If you really are the Son of God, why don't you turn this stone into bread? Now, God the Father did not want Jesus to do that, so he resisted. With the second temptation, Jesus show, the devil showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. And he said, Jesus, you can have all of it, but there's a catch. You just have to bow down and worship me. Now, Jesus didn't take the bait on that one either. And finally, with the third temptation, the devil took Jesus to the highest point of the temple in Jerusalem and he told him to jump off, then be caught by God's angels, and then become an instant celebrity. However, Jesus knew that he came to earth on a specific mission and that little stunt didn't line up with that mission. So once again, he resisted the devil and he passed the test. Now, if you were here last week, you probably remember that all three of these temptations line up perfectly with three desires that are common to us. Uh, the Apostle John describes these desires in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 16. John says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world... The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. So look at those three categories in verse 16. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Uh, these are the desires that can lead us to sin and idolatry. So the lust of the flesh, that's when you say, I want to feel good. And with Jesus, that was the temptation to turn stones into bread. Lust of the eyes is when you say, I want more. And when the devil promised all those kingdoms to Jesus, he was trying to tap into that desire. And then finally, pride of life. It's when you say, I want my life to be about me. Now today, we're focusing on that second desire, the lust of the eyes. It's the temptation to worship the gods of more. And what is the more that we're talking about there? Where, where could we find these gods in our world today? Well, I'll give you three potential idols this morning. More money, more success, and more power. 
And just like last week when we talked about those gods of pleasure, none of these things are inherently bad. I mean, we all pursue these things to some degree. Who doesn't want to be successful? Who doesn't want to be good at what you do? We all learn from a very early age that it is a good thing to get on the honor roll or to make the all-star team or to achieve a level of excellence in your career. And then, you know, power is very similar. Uh, It's an honorable thing to hold a position of authority. Uh, When you're in a place of power, you have the potential to help people. And then there's money. Now, money it can cause a lot of stress, but you've got to have it, right? And so we work hard to make a living. We do our best to provide for ourselves and our families, and, and then hopefully we'll have a little left over to buy something fun or do something good for others. So yes, we all pursue these things, but just like those gods of pleasure, any one of those things can become an idol. But when does that happen? Well, I'll tell you, money, power, and success start to become idols when more is never enough. And here's where it gets tricky. Think about this. Exactly how many napkins does it take? How many napkins do you have to collect before napkins become an idol in your life? Well, I can't tell you because it doesn't work like that. Idolatry is not about a specific amount of money or power or success because it's a heart issue. So here's a better question. What are you willing to sacrifice in your quest for more? Imagine an athlete. Imagine an athlete who says, you know what? I've been working hard. I've been doing my best, but I'm still not getting the results that I want. So maybe steroids would get me there. And if so... I don't care about the rules. I'll I'll just do whatever it takes. Now, steroids may not be your thing. So where might this issue show up in your life? Maybe maybe you're really driven to succeed in your career. And then you, you let work eat up more and more of your family time. Or maybe you're watching TV and you see a car or a vacation or some lifestyle that you wish you had. And you're already deep in debt, but all of a sudden you spend that money and your financial problems get even worse, all because you wanted to fulfill those desires. So how do we keep these desires in their appropriate place? Well, once again, let's go back to Jesus. And let's read about that second temptation that he faced. It's in Luke chapter 4, starting with verse 5. So follow along with me. Luke says, Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they're mine to give to anyone I please. And I will give it all to you if you worship me. Jesus replied, Scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only Him. Now this is interesting. Uh, The devil talks a big game here. He's like, yeah, all the kingdoms of the world are mine to give away. And how could he say that? Well, it may be surprising, but in John 14, 31, 
Jesus refers to Satan as the ruler of this world. And according to Scripture, God has temporarily allowed the devil to have some level of authority. And that's why Satan can make this offer. But for me, this temptation always seemed kind of strange because the Bible is also clear that Jesus has ultimate authority over everything. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians chapter 2. He says, For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. So Jesus is not just some great teacher or an all-around good guy. He's the human who is also God. So now back to the desert. When the devil offered those kingdoms, why would Jesus even be tempted? Well, here's what we have to remember. When Jesus came to earth, he humbled himself. He made himself nothing. He was God, but he became a man. And in doing that, he allowed himself to be limited in all kinds of ways. And at the point when Jesus was tempted here, he still had every right to all that authority, but he had laid it down temporarily. And he wasn't quite ready to reclaim it yet. So with that in mind, think about what the devil was offering here. We see three specific things in these verses. First, the devil showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. And this would have been an amazing thing to see. At this point in history, those kingdoms would have included the Roman Empire, of course, but also the Parthians over in Iran, the Mayans uh, down in Mexico, the Han Dynasty way out east in China. And all these kingdoms added up to an incredible amount of wealth. And yes, that wealth was certainly part of the temptation, but that was just the beginning. The devil said, oh, this is about more than just money. He said, I will also give you the authority and the glory that comes with these kingdoms. Now, what's the appeal there? Well, authority is power. It's the ability to control a situation or to control a group of people. And, and for some of us, there is a great appeal to that. But there's also that glory. It's that feeling you get when people look at you and say, you are the man or the woman, as the case may be. Glory is what comes from success. And these things, this is what the devil was offering. Money, power, and success. It's the lust of the eyes. Jesus was being tempted to pursue the gods of more. Now, of course, this kind of temptation was nothing new. By the time Jesus was born, the devil had been tempting people for thousands and thousands of years. Back in the Old Testament, there is a verse in 2 Kings that describes a group of people who worshipped idols. Now, this is 700 years before Jesus. And there's something very interesting going on in this verse. See if you can pick up on it. It says... So they feared the Lord, but also served their own gods after the manner of the nations from among whom they had been carried away. Now, does something jump out at you there? Here's what I see. These, these people, they did not make a clear-cut decision to reject the true God. I mean, they were all for him. They, they were happy to worship God 
they, they knew that he had done great things over the years. And, and they didn't want to throw his blessings away. But what does it say? They feared the Lord, but also served their own gods. They, they were trying to have it both ways. And that doesn't work. We talked about this last week. Jesus said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul and your mind and your strength. We're called to serve him only. But with the gods of more, we want to fudge a little bit. We, we want to try to serve God and these other things. Like may, Maybe I can worship him and still run after money and power and success. Or maybe I can follow Jesus and be just a little greedy on the side. Now, the funny thing is, nobody ever thinks of themselves as greedy. That's what's sneaky about these particular idols. We're often blind to them. Now, if you have an addiction to food or an addiction to sex, you know it. But then greed, lust of the eyes... In all my years of ministry, I've never had someone reach out and say, Doug, I got a problem. I am greedy. I'm just a greedy person. <laughs> no, I, I've heard a lot of other confessions, but I've never heard that one. Most of us don't think of ourselves as greedy, but the reality is all of us are quite vulnerable to the lust of the eyes, the gods of more. So let's evaluate ourselves for a moment. Remember that big question? When is more enough? So am I doing okay in this area? Or am I veering into idolatry? Now, if we compare ourselves to the crazy napkin lady, we'll probably feel pretty good. But in reality, is our attitude, is our behavior really that different? Think about all the stuff in our closets. Think about the junk in the garage or in the basement. And the vast majority of Americans have collected a vast amount of stuff. Now, how do we know if materialism has become an idol? Well, again, I can't give you a legalistic guideline because this is a heart issue. It's not about a certain quantity. But I can give you a warning sign. Ask yourself this question. Do I think of contentment as a destination? Do I think of it as a place that I'm trying to get to? Here's what I mean by that. Some people have this mindset that if they reach certain goals or acquire certain things, then they'll finally be content. For example, if I can just get out of debt, then I'll be happy. Or if I can get that promotion, if I can get that raise, if we can get that house, then we'll finally be happy. But if that's our mindset, we'll never be content. Because contentment is not a destination. Contentment is something that you have to find along the journey. So what's the answer? What's the secret of being content? Well, first, we have to realize that contentment, satisfaction, those things will never be found in money, power, or success. I always think about a quote from John D. Rockefeller. I've shared this before. Uh, Rockefeller was the first billionaire in American history. Uh, the guy was super rich. But one day, somebody came up to him and said, Mr. Rockefeller, 
How much money is enough money? And you know what he said? He said, just a little more. In other words, more is never enough. So let's ask a different question. Why is it that money and power and success never seem to satisfy? Well, it's because we weren't made for those things. We, we weren't created to pursue our own greatness. We were created to pursue someone who is infinitely greater than us. We exist to glorify God, to bless Him. God does not exist to bless us. Now, of course, He wants to bless us. He's happy to do that. But we will never find that blessing until we let go of our self-centered, relentless pursuit of more. Jesus said this very clearly in Matthew chapter 16. Uh, one day he was talking to his disciples and he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Because what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Now that is a difficult command, isn't it? Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Lose your life. Why would Jesus tell us to do that? Well, he tells you to do that because he loves you. He, he really wants what is best for you. Think about it. Let's say you become the wealthiest, most powerful, most successful person on earth. How much will those things matter 100 years from now, or 200 years from now, or a million years from now? If you've made those things your idols, but then you go into eternity separated from God, you have made a terrible, terrible trade. It's infinitely better to surrender your life to Jesus, to lay down your life for Him. And you know, that's exactly what Jesus did for us. He laid down his life. He went to the cross. He paid the price for our sins. And he gave all of us the chance to be with God forever because we can be forgiven because our sin is paid for. So let's make the right choice here. Let's reject the gods of more. But just like with other temptations, we're going to need some help to do that. So how do we do it? How can we resist the false gods of money, power, and success? Well, I've got two answers to that question, and here's the first one. Like Jesus, we need to commit or recommit to serve God only. Give him all of our heart. You remember what Jesus said right after the devil offered him all the kingdoms of the world? How did he respond? Jesus answered with Scripture. He quoted Deuteronomy 6.13. Jesus says, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. So, so Jesus knew. He knew, I can't serve my heavenly Father and serve the devil at the same time. And that seems kind of obvious, right? That's an easy choice to make. But here's the thing. We face the same choice in our lives. It's just not so obvious. Because the devil is not standing in front of us in broad daylight. So we might not even notice when we're tempted to worship an idol. 
One day we might say, well, sure, I, I want to serve God. But then on another day, or maybe a few hours later, we might say, you know, if I'm ever going to get ahead in this job, I'm going to have to cut some corners. I may have to fudge some numbers. And it's okay, it's not a big deal. But uh, what was that verse in the Old Testament, Second Kings? Those people feared the Lord, but also served their own gods. There's a huge danger in trying to serve more than one God. Now, the truth is, it's impossible. You can't get away with it. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So we have to make this commitment to worship the true God and serve Him alone. Now, many of us have made this our primary goal. We, we've given our lives to Jesus and we've promised to be faithful to the one true God. Unfortunately, we don't have the willpower to keep that promise. But God knows that and He will give you the strength to follow through. He, he will transform your mind and your heart through the power of the Holy Spirit and He will teach you how to be content. And that's the second way to resist these false gods of money, power, and success. Let God teach you the art of contentment. Now, I've been using this word all day, uh, but what does it mean? What, what's the definition of contentment? Well, a couple years ago, I heard a good definition from a preacher friend of mine named Dave Allgaier. And here's what Dave says. Contentment is when you are at rest on the inside, right now, as things are. So if I don't win the award, it's okay. If I don't win the game, it's okay. If I don't get that raise, it's okay. Now, I do want to be clear about something. Contentment is not the same thing as complacency. Complacency is when you say, whatever, I'm not going to work hard. I'm not going to set big goals. I'll just accept things the way they are. Now, that's not what we're talking about. When you are complacent, you might just be worshiping the idol of laziness. So there's a balance here because it can be a good thing to pursue money, power, or success as long as that pursuit is totally in line with God's will, as long as we don't put those things above Him. But that's the struggle, isn't it? It's so easy to turn these things into idols. So we need to let God teach us the art of contentment. And there, there are practical ways that he will do that. I saw a great quote from a preacher named Kyle Eidelman. And actually, Kyle wrote an excellent book called Gods at War. And some of the concepts in this series came from that book. I highly recommend it. But there's a truth that Kyle pointed out. Idols are defeated, not by being removed, but by being replaced. So let's say you got a problem with the gods of more. You're tempted by the lust of the eyes. What are some practical replacements for those idols? Well, I'll give you three. Number one, choose generosity. I heard about a, a very wealthy man who learned a powerful lesson. He learned that generosity can help you stop treating money like an idol. 
Now, from what I heard, you would never know that this man was crazy rich, except for the fact that he gave away a ton of money. And he said something very interesting. He said, giving away money breaks its power. It's like you're saying to money, I don't even care about you. You are so unimportant to me that I can just give you away. Giving destroys the idol of money because it can't stand not being important. That's good. So how can you be generous this week? Uh, This is actually a great time to ask that question. In a few days, uh, we're going to hit Black Friday. And Black Friday is one of the biggest spending days of the year. It's a tangible example of the way we try to buy happiness. But in 2012, nine years ago, a man named Henry Timms came up with a different idea. It's called Giving Tuesday. Maybe you've heard of it. The idea is simple. It's just a day that encourages people to to go do good, to be generous. Now, Giving Tuesday always happens four days after Black Friday. So this year, it's November 30th. And that could be your action step this week. Over the next few days, identify some way that you can be generous. Maybe you give toward a mission or a ministry or you give to someone you know who is in need. Or here at Plum Creek, uh, you you could sign up to donate food or or volunteer at the Thanksgiving dinner that we're hosting for international students. And by the way, we've gotten an amazing response to that need. So thank you for that. And we do have uh, several uh, opportunities left to give or volunteer. But whatever you decide to do, uh, just find a way to be generous. That is a great step toward contentment. I've got two more replacements for the gods of more. The second is to choose the life of a servant. Now, there's nothing wrong with being in a position of authority The the question is what you do with that authority. Power can be a tool to use people, but it can also be a tool to bless people. So whether you're a boss or a parent or a, a teacher or a president, ask yourself, how can I use this position to bless others? Again, this this week is a, a great time to practice being a servant. Maybe Thursday after Thanksgiving dinner, you offer to help with the dishes. I didn't want to say that because now I have to do that. But serving others, that's another great way to grow in contentment. My last suggestion for an idol replacement is is very simple. We're going to be thinking about this this week. Just choose gratitude. Practice the daily discipline of thanking God and thanking others. And I realize on some days, this may feel difficult. I know that some of you right now are carrying heavy burdens. And I don't want to minimize those burdens. At the same time, though, we always, always have reasons to be thankful. Hundreds of reasons. Thousands of reasons. So this week, focus on your blessings. Pay less attention to what you don't have and pay more attention to the good gifts that God has given you. So in the end, 
When is more enough? Well, more is enough when you learn that you don't need it. That's the secret. Paul is the one who said he had found the secret. So let's, let's hear what he has to say. Philippians chapter 4, Paul says, I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. Now this is the foundation underneath everything we've been talking about today. For Paul, he doesn't need more. What he has is enough. And, and why is that? Well, it's in verse 13. He, he can do that through him who gives me strength. He's talking about Jesus there. Paul made Jesus his greatest treasure. He, he chose to serve and worship the one true God. Now, in this world, you may collect all kinds of money and power and success, but one day, all of those things will disappear. And here's what's different about Jesus. When you make Jesus your treasure, nothing can ever take him away. And he is the one who truly satisfies you. So there's no need to get caught up in the pursuit of more. When you have Jesus, you have everything you need for today and forever. And it's in that truth that we find real contentment. Let's pray. Lord, you know how we are. You know that we have this constant desire for more. But Lord, I pray that you would teach us to be content in you, to realize that uh, those things that we see and want are usually the things that won't last. So Lord, help us to, to see you for the treasure you are and that we will pursue you above all else, that we will give you your rightful place in our lives. And I pray that we will find that contentment and will help others to find it as well. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.